Welcome back, everybody. It's Ed Martin. I'm here with Jordan Henry, and we are talking about Life Matters. We're talking how life matters, and rallying the pro-life movement to fulfill its calling is our tagline as we've been gathering and talking. I don't think even Jordan and I expected that we, we thought we'd have like maybe 10 weeks of run-up before we'd have uh, this much attention on the life issue. It's extraordinary how fast things are happening, how much is going on. So uh, we have a, uh, a lot to cover. Jordan, any deep thoughts before we start? Wow, just what an exciting time this has been. Like you said, I mean, I thought that we had a little bit of lead-up time before things really, really got interesting. Uh, but no, I mean, it's just getting right into it, which is why we need uh, some experts in our corner to help us figure this stuff out. Yeah. Well, today we have a great expert and a friend of ours who for the last few years, in part, I think because his old boss, Senator Chuck Grassley, has been such a favorite of conservatives and our old friend, uh, Jordan Tammy Kobza, who was a great Eagle leader from Iowa, was great, close with uh, Senator Grassley. So we did a lot of uh, when we could to work with him on policy issues. Mike Davis is a former senior staffer. He worked for the Senate Judiciary Committee when Chuck Grassley was the chairman and uh, chief counsel there, I guess, for nominations is the title he had. So he was um, involved in a lot of hearings, I think over 30 uh, markup meetings, which is where you're in the in kind of in the fray and then floor votes on almost 280 nominees, the way I counted it, including uh, Justice Kavanaugh. That's just when he was um, working for the committee. Then he went out and he has been the founder and the president of the Article 3 Project, uh, which has been really helpful for a lot of us in the last few years, tracking who's been nominated, what, where they are in the process. It's a bit Byzantine if you don't know what's going on in the Senate and the Judiciary Committee and all. So the Article 3 Project has been really helpful. And um, he himself is a former clerk for both the Court of Appeals, the Tenth Circuit, as well as the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, he has helped shepherd cam uh, nominees through when they're nominated by President Trump. He's worked in the, um, in the, as I mentioned, in the Congress, in the Senate, and he, of course he clerked. So he's been in all three branches. Mike Davis, welcome, Mike. How are you? Hey, Ed, how are you doing? Thank you for having me on. Well, you've been a real great resource for a lot of us, and, and so thank you for that. And so we're talking about this in the aftermath of this leak on the Supreme Court. First of all, as and I, you know, I, I, you know, I've talked before, I clerked for the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and, and there's nothing more sort of sacred than your bond with your judge or your justice in a, in a funny way. Sacred, maybe a small S, like a, a, like a sacred in our American government sense. You just, it's almost like you, you're betraying him or her to do anything that would reflect poorly on him or her, especially when it comes to, they're thinking like they, they make a decision. They're all big boys and girls. They're used to having criticism. But when it's the back and forth, the inside stuff, I remember hearing my friend from college, uh, fa now father Paul Scalia, talk about how his dad and, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg were such great friends. And they had this real sense that that was not something that Justice Scalia said we'd ever talk about. You know, this is just a there, there's a part of the whole uh, court that's different. And as a clerk, leaking something is just insane. So how, how do you respond as a former clerk? Well, it's unprecedented, Ed, as you know. There has never been a draft opinion leaked uh, from the Supreme Court before the opinion was released by, by the court. Uh, back with Roe versus Wade, the result of the decision leaked out to Time Magazine, I believe, and the Chief Justice at the time threatened to investigate and polygraph <laughs> all of the law clerks, and then one of the law clerks fessed up that uh, they were the person who did it. But no, this is an unprecedented uh, leak, and it causes gr a great deal of damage to the court because the court uh, has nine justices. Each of the justices has uh, four law clerks, and uh, 
they have to collaborate in order to, to, to work on majority opinions, concurring opinions, dissenting opinions. They have to share these drafts over a several week period in order to, to get out a, a final product. And if, if there is no trust, if there's no secrecy, if there's no confidence in that process, it really hurts the institution. And maybe that was the intended result of this leak. Well, I, I've actually said that. I thought that, you know, for decades, uh, the left loved the idea of a, a sacred court whose judgment we must uh, revere, whether Roe v. Wade or Obergefell or anything else. And it was nice to have a Justice Scalia as long as he was in the minority. But now that there's a uh, Justice Thomas and others in a conservative majority, diminishing the uh, institution seems to be maybe a preference of the left. But but um, we're talking with Mike Davis, the founder and president of the Article 3 Project. Mike, uh, backing up for a second, from the Supreme Court leak standpoint, um, what happens now? I know Chief Justice Roberts came out with a statement the next day and he said, yes, this was a draft opinion of Alito. Yes, it was leaked inappropriately. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We have our own law enforcement to do that, which is the U.S. the marshals. Right. Tell us what that means. What, what is there really? I mean, they, they're not doing busts. They're not going out and busting up things. They're mostly a security detail, I think. How is it going to work out to get to the bottom of this? I actually think the Chief Justice did the right thing here in announcing that the Marshal of the Supreme Court, an officer of the Supreme Court, would handle this. And I'll tell you for a couple of reasons. Number one is, is you don't want the political branches sticking their noses into the internal operations of the Supreme Court. You don't want Congress, my uh, former stomping ground like the Senate Judiciary Committee. You don't want the FBI. You don't want the Biden Justice Department with Attorney General Merrick Garland, who has proven to be a partisan hack. You want this to be handled as an internal investigation and with the marshal of the Supreme Court leading a 200-person Supreme Court police force. If they need additional help from the U.S. Marshal Service and the Justice Department, they can ask them to come in and deputize them to do the polygraphs or do the subpoenas or whatever. But this needs to be led by the Supreme Court as an internal investigation. There's that piece. The separate piece about threats to the Supreme Court justices at their homes, that's absolutely where the Biden Justice Department, where Attorney General Merrick Garland, uh, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, the FBI Director Chris Ray, the U.S. Attorneys in D.C., Maryland, and the Eastern District of Virginia have absolutely fallen down on the job, dereliction of duty, by not protecting Supreme Court justices from and their families from threats because of their pending uh, case before them. Uh, Mike, back for one second to the court. Um, the marshal's been tasked to get to the bottom of this. I think you said on another interview, I heard you, you interviewed, that the, the universe of people who could leak this is is clearly finite. And it's actually not, it's not a thousand people, right? I mean, unless there was a hack, and I think that's not, no one has alleged that could be, I guess, that, that the universe of people that could do this is 100, 200 people? It's it's about 80 people and it's probably even less than that. It's probably a law clerk, just because if you look at the Politico story, not only did they leak a draft hard copy version of the February uh, early version of the draft Alito opinion, they also provided Politico insight into the deliberations of the Supreme Court that only a very limited number of people would have known, and it would probably would have been a law clerk. So when if you get to the bottom of it, it's not a whistleblower. Nobody said that this is an, a leak to uh, alleged wrongdoing. It's a leak in terms of the inner workings. What's the remedy? Well, this fake whistleblower would be a felon because you're looking at uh, if the if the marshal of the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court police find out who did this, 
and they learn the reason why they did this, uh, you're talking about a criminal referral to the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. for potential destruction, theft, misuse of government property, maybe even obstruction of justice if you're leaking this for the purposes of trying to change a justice's vote on a pending case. That's that's really interesting, Mike. But, you know, it seems to me like nobody on the left is, of course, concerned at all about the integrity of the Supreme Court right now. They're focusing on abortion and that side of this whole thing. Are you aware of any anybody on the left, any Democrat at all who has actually come out and condemned the leak itself? I'm not sure that I know of any that have done that. I've only heard Democrats praise the leakers. So no, I've, I'm not aware of that at all. And, and frankly, as Ed and you have both discussed, this is the first time we, we, we finally, for the first time in 90 years, have a constitutionalist majority on the Supreme Court, five justices who will actually follow the law instead of make up the law. President Trump switched the five to four liberal court to the five to four Clarence Thomas court. And so now the Democrats, now the left want to burn the place down. Yeah. Uh, Mike, um, I'm sorry to go back to it again. I know you, I know you were careful when we came, we prepared for this uh, podcast. And again, it's Ed Martin and uh, Jordan Henry. We're talking life matters uh, with Mike Davis, the founder and president of article three project. You were very careful to warn me and to say, Hey, uh, you have not been in touch with people. You've stayed away from your former colleagues, anything that works with the court, all this, because you're just being careful and, and wise, I think. But um, do you have, I mean, it, I've heard you say publicly because of what's happened they they probably should figure out what the decision is if there's dissents or whatever and and get the decision out because we're just setting up a situation i think if i can summarize your your assessment that you're just going to have weeks of pressure and questions and all and and frankly uh, confusion uh, in terms of a timeline usually the the most sort of controversial decision meaning the most attention would be last would be published on june 30th maybe july 1st this year um, now we have a leaker uh, we have a a, a more controversial decision because of the public. But is there? Do you have a sense of the timeline? I mean, w will they get to the bottom of the leaker? In I know you're guessing, but in two weeks, do they know already? How could they not know already? It shouldn't be that hard to figure out who the leaker is. I think the first step that the marshal needs to do is just sit every uh, court employee who would have ac access to this draft opinion, including the law clerks, especially the law clerks, and sit them down and get them to talk to the Supreme Court police or other investigators under 18 U.S.C. 1001 minimally, where you would go to prison as a felon if you lied to federal investigators, or at least if you're a Trump supporter or a Republican, you would uh, <laughs> go to prison if you lied to federal investigators. Maybe maybe not this leaker. They might get a, their own show on MSNBC. Who knows? But uh, they, it, it shouldn't be that hard to get to the bottom of this. You interview these people. If you can't figure it out from the interviews, then you subpoena their emails and phone records. If you can't figure it out from that, then you uh, send them down for polygraphs. Well, you know, with remote broadcasting the way it is nowadays, they might be able to have their own MSNBC show from prison. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't encourage them now, Jordan. Uh, all right, Mike. But now back to my second part of my convoluted question. Mike Davis is who we're talking to. Um, what What do you think on the decision now? I mean, I know you've said get it out because you're just you're just uh, causing more strife. But uh, are, are you, they haven't gotten it out. They didn't send it. They didn't publish it the, the next day. Um, so what do you think? Do they wait until June 30th? I, I, so it, it no, I mean it looks it looks pretty clear from oral argument that there are at least five justices who are uh, going to overturn Roe versus Wade. That's uh, especially clear since the draft opinion of the court by Justice Alito uh, means there would be five justices to go along with it, or at least that's 
what there uh, were at the conference after the case was argued that, and the case was assigned to Justice Alito to draft a majority opinion, uh, and, a, and a majority opinion that the Chief Justice or the, the Supreme Court has authenticated. So they need to understand that the longer this waits, the more these Supreme Court justices and their families are in danger. Uh, they're, uh, people are radical. They're crazy. There's a lot of money on the line with the abortion industry. The abortion industry uh, makes their money killing kids, and they give that money to Democrat politicians and Democrat causes. Uh, Article3project.org. Article, the number three, project.org, to see more of Mike's work and track appointments. There's a lot happening. Uh, one distinction, if I can say, uh, just practical matter, when you look at the leak itself, and don't even look at the decision, except to say that the flow, Mike, is... There is the arguments in in late in 2021. There's a conference soon after where they vote. It's clear, at least the way it played out now, and there was leaks back then, I think, a little bit, that it's five to four to overturn Roe. It looks like Alito's draft opinion, which is from February, it, it might have changed. If there wasn't a leak, it might have, someone might have said, oh, I would have liked this. But if they didn't change, if he didn't want to change it, they could have published this as a 5-4 opinion, and there could have been a concurrence of someone clarifying something they wanted to. In other words, the, the holding is probably where it is after the conference, right? Yeah, I mean, they could absolutely issue their ruling now, including a per curiam opinion saying this is how we rule with opinions to follow. And there's precedent for that happening. I think that happened back in like 1954 on a case. They could say, look, here's what we're ruling that uh, you know Roe versus Wade and Casey are overturned, and uh, we're going to uphold the state abortion restriction, and we're going to have written opinions to follow. Maybe you get out the Alito opinion now, and as the liberals are kicking and screaming and crying and dragging their feet, they could just issue their opinion later. Mm -hmm. um, with this being such a divisive thing, and really only one side talking about this issue right now, what would you say uh, the court can do to restore the faith that the American people have previously had in it? What, what, what needs to happen for us to trust the Supreme Court again after this leak? Well, this is, I, I would say that this is the first time that a, a leak like this has ever happened. I don't think it's ever going to happen again. I think it's a rogue <laughs> clerk right. who's done this. And I don't think the Supreme Court needs to change anything. They can't. I mean, they, they're not going to send their justices and their law clerks and administrative aides into a skiff in order to circulate drafts among the, the chambers, they have to be able to collaborate and circulate drafts. You have a bad actor here. And I uh, maybe that bad actor left uh, long ago. Maybe that bad actor left right after this opinion circulated in, in, in February. And that's why we haven't seen later drafts. Maybe it's a law clerk who wanted to issue this draft opinion uh, either to influence a waffling justice or to just say hell with it and, and burn down the court. I'm not sure, but I don't think the court needs to do anything differently. Uh, Mike Davis, uh, one last sort of line of uh, questions, comments. Um, uh, for those that are the tr you, you've watched and and you've been a part of, um, say Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings, where it, the the narrative is cruising along in terms of qualifications and record as a judge, and then whammo, you know, Michael Avenatti and that uh, woman, they come in, and you watch the the media try to spin something that's not there into something that's that's uh, that there, and you watch it with some success, right? I mean, this is the damage that they've done to people and to things. In this case, you're watching the media say things about this decision like, oh, you know, nobody wants to uh, make abortion illegal. I, I, you know, again, from the standpoint of someone who's worked at the Supreme Court, clerked at the Court of Appeals, uh, observes this stuff, if this decision stands, there's nothing in the decision that bans abortion, right? 
No, it's uh, we're going to change this idea that that there's this federal judicial supremacy, this federal judicial preemption, where we're going to coddle the abortion industry and just make up this Supreme Court uh, law that doesn't exist in the Constitution to coddle the abortion industry. What's going to happen is when Roe versus Wade and Casey are overturned, abortion is going to go back to being decided by the states, which is what happened for the first 200 years before 49 years ago when the Supreme Court just made up Roe versus Wade. We're talking Life Matters. It's Ed Martin and Jordan Henry. We're talking with Mike Davis, the founder and president of the Article 3 Project, article3project.org. You can see a lot there, um, uh, the uh, the tracker on appointments and things. This is very helpful. Um, but we're next week on our podcast, we're going to talk with Clark Forsyth, who uh, the attorney who wrote a book called Abuse of Discretion. And he looked back at the memos from the Roe v. Wade decision. And um, uh, the clerks were going back and forth, basically explaining how they were. Uh, the clerk was telling his justice how he's going to, come up with these ideas on viability and all this. And, and I guess one thing here, Mike, it's impossible to do the job without clerks, but I do think it's surprising to people how powerful these clerks are, right? I mean, you're talking about the nine most influential justices, judges in the country, and the four people that work for them, 36 people have, you know, influence, at least the way this worked out, on world events. Yeah, I mean, very much. I mean, with Justice Gorsuch and his four law clerks, we didn't have a lot of power because he he rewrote every word that we gave him. But <laughs> right. there are some justices who would just, you know, say that this is what I want and rubber stamp it. Yeah, it's um, well, again, I mean, you know, you talk about this sort of uh, the crisis driven media, big tech and media where we're suddenly going to have. I, I can't imagine what's going to happen when we find out who the leaker was and how the media will try to make he or she into a hero. I can see it coming already. You know that this is probably get a he or she will get a job at uh, Yale Law School the way it's going. I, Mike, anything we're missing that we're in terms of, uh, you know, our listeners are, are, are folks in the pro-life movement who are sort of trying to figure out how uh, to keep working towards towards good things in the future. Anything you wanted to add? I would just say give the Supreme Court breathing room and time to get to the bottom of this. They will. This is an internal investigation. They'll get to the bottom of this. I would also say on the threats against the Supreme Court justices at their homes, it's inexcusable. Uh, this dereliction of duty from the Attorney General Merrick Garland and uh, the, the Biden administration, they must start making arrests. When people are threatening Supreme Court justices or any federal judge at their homes, it is very dangerous. We saw this with Judge Solace, a district court judge in New Jersey, whose 20-year-old son was killed in 2020 at their home, and his and her husband was shot several times and has had to go undergo many surgeries. It is very dangerous to dox federal judges, and they need to step up. They need to protect them, and they need to prosecute people who are violating the obstruction of justice and other laws by threatening justices and their families at their homes. All right. Hey, thanks, Mike. Uh, as always, Mike Davis, the founder and president of the Article 3 Project on Twitter. He is at M-R-D-D-I-A. Uh, by the way, Mike, explain that. What does that mean? Why is it at, at M-R-D-D-I-A? It's M-R-D-D-M-I-A, M-R-D-D-M-I-A, and that's my initials in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm from. Oh. I know I sound like I'm from the Bronx, but I'm from Des Moines. M-R-D-D-M-I-A. All right. I've always wondered. You're like at Julie Kelly comes on at Julie underscore Kelly two. I'm like, come on, you guys get something that's a little catchier. But anyway, you follow them on Twitter. There's there's a lot there on Twitter. Go ahead. What, Mike? We we have common names. Julie Kelly, Mike Davis. We have to come up with these weird Uh, Twitter handles. I know. It's a code. It's like a crack the code. (laughs) The Da Vinci code. What's his name? Brown will do a book on what Mike Davis's Twitter handle means. Now we solved it. All right. (laughs) Article three project 
project.org article, the number three project.org. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. All right. We're going to take a pause, everybody, and we will then continue our conversation. It's Ed Martin and we are, I'm here with Jordan Henry. We're doing, uh, we are talking about life matters, life matters, and we are rallying the pro-life. I'm not sure, Jordan, we're rallying the pro-life movement yet to fulfill its calling, but we certainly are getting the right people to talk about this. And I mentioned next week, we'll talk with Clark Forsyth. Uh, His book is Abuse of Discretion. It's really important, but let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Ed Martin. I'm here with Jordan Henry. Life matters. Life matters. We're so pleased as we started this podcast. I, we mentioned in the earlier interview with uh, Mike Davis, when we started, we thought there'd be a lot going on. But uh, I mean, maybe in two months, there's a lot going on every day, it looks like. So life matters. And we're rallying the pro-life movement to fulfill its calling. So many things going on, Jordan. First of all, again, you're an observer, close observer of pro-life, of the fight, the battle and all that. Were you surprised by the leak? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know anyone who wasn't surprised by uh, by that leak. I mean, it, it just really came out of nowhere. I know that we, we've talked before about this, that we really, really thought that this was going to be the last decision of the term that the Supreme Court handed down. So it would probably be sometime in the very latest part of June. But now, I don't know. It might be the very first decision that they hand down. I, I would not be surprised at all if, uh, you know, we, within a few days had this decision coming out. Uh, so, you know, this, I think well, I, it wasn't, I, it was a surprise. I was shocked by it, but now in retrospect, we all should have seen it coming. I mean, th- there were leaks by the way, at the time of the argument, after the argument in the fall, uh, then there was a conference and there were enough leaks. The leaks were basically that Roberts wanted to try to moderate. Otherwise we should have known then, then if you read the tea leaves five to four is what it looked like it could be. And now in retrospect, obviously the left would leak, right? They do everything else. They demean everything else. They lie about everything else. Why wouldn't somebody leak? You know, so in retrospect, we see it. And now the question becomes, as you mentioned in our conversation with Mike Davis, you know, how do you restore the confidence in the court? And I don't think that the left cares to. I'm a couple blocks from the Supreme Court. They've got a huge fence around, eight-foot fence around. I think there'll be scheduled Soros-funded riots uh, all summer. I think it's a loser, by the way. I think it will. I don't think. I don't think there's an African American community, a Hispanic community, a low income community, a suburban community that says, "Ah, I'm I'm getting killed by inflation. My schools aren't good enough. I can't pay for gas. I really wish we could riot for uh, abortion rights." I I don't see it. And I, and I think Mike Davis's last point may be the most important. It's big, big money. Oh yeah. You know, you, you, it's not as big as the military industrial complex, but it's, it's along the lines. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in the healthcare system related fields for abortion. And the money goes towards the Democrats, if not directly to them, yeah. you, you go look, a, make a list of the number of employees at a planned parent or affiliated organizations or funded organizations. You'll find every Senator's spouse, every uh, Senator's cousin, his daughter, son, whatever. You'll just see this flow like, like, look, like you could say about Republicans on say big business or something right in the old days, not anymore, I think. But anyway, my point is we're going to have a summer that's going to put pressure on people over that issue. I think it's a loser politically, but there we are. But here's the interesting thing, Jordan. Um, you're a lot younger than I am. And so you're a generation or two behind me and watching the response 
of the debate. Abby Johnson, who is a pro-life leader now, published a post in the last few days in which she described how she had two abortions that was publicly known and how she worked in the abortion industry and that was publicly known. And then she went on to say, now that we're having a conversation about this, it's a baby. And for me, it's a baby, this Abby Johnson. And she said, now what do we do when someone kills a baby? We have to talk about who and how we hold them responsible. That's where I think the debate's going, Jordan. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that to me brings up a very interesting question. One that honestly, I'm not sure I have an answer to yet. And that is, is this something that we will end up fighting exclusively on the state level? Right now, the Democrats are talking about trying to codify Roe v. Wade uh, on the federal level. So, you know, are we just going to beat back their attempt and then we'll fight on the state level? Or is there going to be some kind of a federal attempt to uh, take back the abortion issue, uh, you know, whenever whenever pro-lifers take back Congress? I mean, what what is the landscape for that? I don't know. Well, I, I will say that I have seen uh, and I can't think right now who um, which senator said we have to get to that conversation. It might have been Ron yeah. Johnson. We have to get to that conversation again. The opportunity. Um, so I, I, I'm going to I talk on my radio show with Ryan Gadurski. I don't know if Ryan Gadurski is a big pro-lifer. He's a he's he's in, invested right now and in spending a lot of his time battling the for uh, the school boards to get sane. And he's an interesting guy. And he he said to me he with with great quickness and vehemence. Young people don't care about abortion like they like the Democrats want them to think about. They just don't think about it that way. They they've seen the technology. They've seen the, mm -hmm. the, the 3D ultrasounds. They've seen babies born at 20 weeks that are functioning. And so they don't they don't understand how you can say you're going to kill a baby at 30 weeks. Right. So I think there's going to be a, a conversation. And I do think it's a national conversation. And again, pretty quickly, I, I think we need uh, to really be careful not to argue about rights and privacy and talk about lives and babies and mothers. And, you know, yeah. uh, our friend Bridget Van Means is quick to say, don't start in on the baby before you talk about the mother. Right. I mean, you know, because you, you have to be understanding where they are. I, I think we need to um, be thinking about how to make the argument. It's not just about sort of well, what's the right, a right to privacy and what does it mean or what do the justices do? But it's about babies. And I think we are in better footing there. Um, also, uh, I will say the um, notion of the fear of expanding this decision to all the other hot button issues, uh, banning contraception. You're hearing that that's insanity. <laughs> it's insanity. Now I, I do think one of the things it will point to though, is, you know, someone said Obergefell in marriage. Well, a lot of people think the reasoning on that was pretty specious. Again, I'm not sure America's going to ban gay marriage ever again, but I, I wonder, you know, I think people will say, well, wait, wait a second, just like they did Plessy v. Ferguson, just like they did with Dred Scott. They said the, the thinking was incorrect on this. Um, and uh, that, that's going to happen more and more if you have a five to four majority. But I think that at the end of the day, the reason why they're talking about uh, contraceptives and, and all that sort of thing is because they know they can't win if they actually talk about the issue itself. It's as simple as that. You know, you said it very well. Young people on the left who are pro-choice are not motivated by issue. But if you talk to uh, anyone, I was just talking to a state legislator not too long ago. He said uh, there are such things as as uh, pro-choice Republicans. I don't think so. The, the number one and number two issues for being uh, a conservative is pro-life and Second Amendment, pro-life, Second Amendment. So that that's not that's not something where it's 
you know, a a single issue voter situation. That's what I like to call a prerequisite voter situation. I agree You're with pre- you. That's right. Yeah, you got to yeah. be pro-life first, and then right. you talk about all the other issues. So, but to say that the left has that same vehemence about this particular issue is completely off, completely off. That's why they want to talk about everything except what the actual issue is. Well, and let's drop a little footnote here and, and point out that our, our old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, and the book that we published at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles uh, about how the Republican Party became pro-life, the importance of the battle over the decades. And again, uh, we'll talk with Clark Forsyth, who has written about um, the pro-life movement, keeping things alive, you know, keeping, and I mean, the argument alive in the judicial, in the in the legal fight by pecking away at different things, saying, wait, if you made up the idea of viability, just made it up. We see the memo now from the, the the chamber. You made that up. Well, let's ask it. Let's ask why. Let's 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 plumb. And, and as you've done that, there's been a, a battle. And and Phyllis uh, took great pride in the fact that one party in America. There used to be two. One that was pro-life. The other was sort of pro-life. Now there's only one that's pro-life, and that's the Republican Party. And as you say, it's kind of a prerequisite issue. Uh, it, it is interesting that we should pause though too. Um, Mike Davis, the Article Three Project again. Article Three, the number three. Article Three Project.org. Mike. Um, during the Trump era, he was constantly telling us this guy, Donald Trump, and this Senate are putting some really good judges on at the district court, at the court of appeals. And ultimately, Donald J. Trump, the pro-choice Democrat from New York until about 1996, whenever it was, he said he switched. He, he, I think he gets I think he can lay claim to being one of the greatest pro-life presidents we've ever seen. Well, you know, a lot of people who the never Trumpers like to say, oh, you know, Trump was in for four years. What lasting accomplishment did he have? If his Supreme Court justices deliver us this kind of a win with overturning Roe v. Wade and all the subsequent case law that goes with that, that's uh, that's groundbreaking. That is a once in a in a lifetime opportunity uh, for the pro-life movement that that gives us the opportunity to fight this in a way that we have never, ever had before. And because of the way that people's opinions are shifting on this issue, turning this over back to the people, uh, it's not going to make it an easy fight, but it is going to make it very, very doable for us to see uh, pro-life wins, uh, little pro-life wins throughout the nation, uh, and then big wins that are going to build into that snowball for sure. Well, again, uh, to Ed Martin and Jordan Henry, and we're talking life matters. And as we talk, our tagline rallying the pro-life movement to fulfill its calling, the, the pro-life movement is not only about Roe v. Wade, right? I mean, it's 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 because it, as soon as the draft opinion was floated that reversed Roe v. Wade, you saw coverage of the fact that, well, women do abortion. Abortion is available by telemedicine and there'll be apps that can, you know, uh, um, Silverman, the actress, I forget her first name, the comedian did a segment Sarah? where Sarah, Sarah Silverman, 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 yeah, she, she came and looked at the camera, did a two camera thing. And she said, Hey, let's set up an app. I'll give some money so you can get fl- flown to a, a place that's open to abortion, right? That's all going to happen probably. And the, the, my point at this moment is that when you talk about rallying the pro-life movement, the rallying has to be on the pro-life part of it, not just the row. It's not the anti-row movement. Right. It's the pro-life movement. It's looking for ways to communicate the great blessing of life, including a baby, including the two-day-old baby in the belly, and and figuring out how to be better and better at communicating that so people are more and more persuaded to take steps uh, to protect life. And I think that's 
that challenge is going to be real. And I, look, I told you, Jordan, we talked about it last weekend. I watched all the Sunday shows. I went through its torture, you know, Cephalopoulos and, and, and mostly I watched um, NBC and Chuck Todd and it's torture. They're just so disingenuous. They're really liars. They're not disingenuous. They're liars. I mean, my, my grandfather would tease. He'd say, don't use disingenuous as three syllables. Just call them liars. It's two. Save a syllable. <laughs> uh, disingenuous. Actually, it's five. Anyway, save some syllables. Dis a liar. And But the, the, the big thing they're relying about is what this would do and where people are and just getting people upset. We have an obligation to rally ourselves to comfort people. Um, and I've got to say, Abby Johnson is a people like Abby Johnson are a big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And there are countless uh, women and girls who are victimized every single day by the abortion industry. That's an industry, like a for profit yeah. industry, because as you said, uh, this is about the money for them. This isn't about people. And so it's up to us, the people who are about people to rally the pro-life movement now to fulfill its calling. And that calling is to protect these women and girls and their children as well. Yeah. All right. Well, life matters. We're rallying the pro-life movement to fulfill its calling. Thank you to Mike Davis. Again, article3project.org. We'll put it up on social media. If you are um, uh, pleased with this uh, podcast, pass it on to other people, share it, go to phyllisschlafly.com and uh, find more there and uh, pass this on to other people. I mentioned our next podcast will include Clark Forsythe, the author of uh, Abuse of Discretion, a book on exactly how the Roe v. Wade, Doe v. Bolton decisions were carved out by the clerks. Um, again, these clerks are powerful, influential. I mean, we got a leaker that's, you know, fixated the country and the world, uh, right now, back then we had clerks that basically came up with Roe v. Wade and, uh, convinced their bosses. This was good reasoning, but we'll talk with Clark Forsyth. Also, he's a prominent lawyer in the movement about where things are and we'll have a lot more. So, uh, anything to finish off, uh, Jordan. Yeah, I just like to remind people that if you haven't done this already, subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast on uh, on iTunes, on uh, Google, uh, wherever you're listening, subscribe, share it with friends. And thanks, everyone. Rem remember, life matters. Life matters. We'll be back next time. Thanks, everybody. And thank you to Dave, our producer. Don't forget, life matters. Life Matters is a production of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles and Family Vision Media. To learn more, please visit phyllisschlafly.com and familyvisionmedia.org.